The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Lord, thank you so much for our church family. Thank you that we get to join together to enjoy you and worship you and serve you. Lord, thank you for the seasons, even for the cold, Lord. Thank you, as my brother reminded me today, that we don't have to worry about mosquitoes today. That there are seasons, and so many seasons, to give us so many blessings, Lord, that we can enjoy each season for its uniqueness. And you give it to us to show us how creative you are, how loving you are, how tender you are, that we might get a glimpse of your manifold wisdom. Pray, Lord, as we dig into your word, that you continue by your grace to show, you, show us how much you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our children, like all children, I think, love their birthday. They love their birthday because it's a day in which we get to show how much we cherish them, how much we thank God for them. It's a day where we get to be a little bit extravagant. We do things that we don't normally do. They love their birthday. And in our family, um, Trisha, my wife, is the Christmas, I'm sorry, the birthday breakfast maker. And she is the birthday decorations hanger, but I am the birthday party coordinator. And that is a job that I take very seriously. And I've had a couple good ones. But a couple of years ago, I decided that for one of my son's birthdays, I was going to take him to a Green Bay Blizzard game. And so I told him he could invite a few friends, and so he invited two friends, and we went to the Blizzard game. And it was a great night. We really enjoyed it. We even saw in lights, happy birthday to him. And we got home. The next day, we did a little family birthday party. And then a couple days went by, a couple days past his birthday. I noticed that he was sad. And I asked him, like, what, what's wrong? Why are you sad? And he asked me the question. He said, Dad, why didn't I have a birthday party this year? I said, well, what do you mean? Like, we went to the Blizzard game. Wasn't that fun? Like, didn't you have fun? He's like, yeah, but that's not what I want for my birthday party. I'm like, well, what, what do you want for your birthday party? He said, well, I'd like to have my friends over to the house and play games together. That wasn't my best moment as the birthday party coordinator. <laughs> because I had coordinated this birthday party on my terms. I had taken what I thought would be best and planned out his birthday party accordingly. I didn't even think about asking him, hey, how would you like to celebrate your birthday? I planned his birthday the way that I wanted it to be run. Now, before you judge me, I would just like to say I think we do this with Christmas almost every year. I mean, what is Christmas a celebration of? Christmas is a birthday party, right? It's a day that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. But have you ever stopped to ask, Jesus, how do you want me to celebrate your birthday? How do you want my family to celebrate your birthday? How do you want us as a church to celebrate your birthday? You know, we have a lot of different customs in our family that are fun and cool and neat. And those aren't necessarily wrong. But have you thought to ask, Lord, is this what you want for your birthday party? Is this how you want us 
to celebrate your birthday party. And so today we are simply going to ask that question and hopefully answer that question. Jesus, how do you want us to celebrate your birthday this year? If you would please open up to Luke chapter 2. It is page 857 in the Red Bible and page 1098 in the Children's Bible. This Christmas season we are studying the Christmas praises of the saints. We are studying the Christmas praise of Mary, the the Christmas praise of Zechariah, and today we get two for one. We study the Christmas praise of the angels and the shepherds. And so let's read together Luke chapter 2, verse 7 through 20. Luke 2, verse 7. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. How does Jesus want us to celebrate his birthday? That's the question for us today. And what we'll see is that we should celebrate Christmas like those at the first Christmas, that we should sing like the angels, that we should seek like the shepherds, and that we should store like the mother. And so let's start by looking at singing like the angels. We are actually going to camp out on this first main point for a while because if there's anybody who knew the appropriate, the right way to celebrate the birth of Jesus, it would have been the angels, the heavenly hosts, those who stood before the throne of God, who have seen his brilliance, who recognize the profoundity of what's happening at Christmas. 
Now remember, the story starts with just one angel appearing to a shepherd, appearing to, sorry, a group of shepherds, and he gives this birth announcement about Jesus. But then heaven seems to overhear this birth announcement of this one angel, and they join with him. In verse 13, we can see, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Now, why did this multitude of heavenly hosts gather together to praise God at this birth announcement? Well, as we look closer at this birth announcement, we'll see there are three titles given to this child, which makes the angels delight and sing for joy. And so I want to look at these three titles and see what is it about them that made the angels sing for joy. What we'll see here is that Christ is given these three names. I'm sorry, Jesus is given these three names. Savior, Christ, and Lord. And so I want to look at each of those in reverse order and and see if what made the angel's heart sing for joy will make our hearts sing for joy as well. First, we see that we can sing like the angels because baby Jesus is the Lord. So I'm going to get a little geeky and a little greeky on you here so that we can see these words afresh because I think these are words that we're pretty accustomed to, that we just rattle off. Jesus is Christ, Lord, Savior. And so I want to go a little bit deeper to see what these words actually mean. This first word, Christ, comes from the Greek word kurios. In the Thayer Greek Dictionary, it defines it this way. It says, a title of honor, expressive of respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. And then it goes deeper, and I love this part of the definition. Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. The owner, one who has control over the person, the master. You know, this term Lord is not a term that we use Frequently, but I know those in England and in Wales often use this term to address someone that is in charge of the kingdom. They will refer to them as my Lord, and what they are doing is they are, they are identifying that this person has authority and power over the kingdom as well as over the peasants. And so here, this is what the angels are doing. They're, they're acknowledging the authority of Jesus. You see, throughout the Old Testament, this title, Lord, was given to God himself. But now it is being applied to this fragile, helpless, little baby. In Acts 10, 36, it says that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Meaning that he is Lord over all of creation. The sun, the moon, the stars. But he's also Lord even over the angels. And over us. Even if we don't acknowledge it. Jesus is our Lord, which means that baby Jesus is our master. Now, I know when we hear this at first, it might seem oppressive that we are not our own Lord, that we are not our own master, that Jesus is our Lord and that we are to serve him and be slaves to him. But really, the fact that Jesus is Lord is not bad news. It is the best news because All of us have a Lord. Every person serves a Lord. And most of the time, the Lord is ourself. We are our own Lord in many ways. But Jesus is a far better Lord than us. Jesus is the Lord who is gracious to us and is powerful enough to take care of us. You know, we sing about the good news of Jesus' Lordship in that song, Joy to the World. 
I don't know if you know this, but Joy to the World was not written as a Christmas song. It was written as a reflection on Psalm 98, which says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. But in it, it is appropriate for Christmas because we are singing about the joy of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. He rules the world with truth and grace. No more will sin and sorrow grow. And then my favorite line, he'll come and make the blessings flow as far as the curse is found. See, we pray the lordship of Jesus Christ because he and his lordship is so much better, so much more gracious, so much more loving, so much more powerful than we are when we try to steal his lordship for ourselves. And so we can sing praises like the angels because Jesus is Lord. But we can also sing praises like the angels because Jesus is our Lord and he is the best Lord that there is. We also sing praises like the angels because baby Jesus is the Christ. This is another identification that the angel gives in the birth announcement of this baby that is being born. Christ. It comes from the word Christos, which means anointed. Contrary to popular belief, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is actually a title. It comes from Hebrew, which means Messiah or anointed one. And so when the angel comes and says that this baby born is the Christ, what he is saying is that all the anointed ones that have come before point to the anointed one, this anointed one. You see, in the Old Testament, People were anointed for special positions in God's redemptive story. And most specifically, people were anointed either to be a prophet, to be a priest, or to be a king. But you see, all of those anointed ones pointed to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the ultimate anointed prophet because he came not only to proclaim the good news, but to secure the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the ultimate priest because he was the ultimate sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice for our sins once and forever. And Jesus is the ultimate anointed king ruling over all of creation for his glory and for our good. And so baby Jesus is the ultimate bundle of joy because he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one that all other anointed ones pointed to. And so on Jesus' birthday, we can sing like the angels because Jesus is the Lord, because Jesus is the Christ, but most importantly, because Jesus is the Savior. Savior comes from a Greek word, soter, which means Savior, Deliverer, or Preserver. In the Old Testament, prior to Jesus, this phrase was often used of God. In Isaiah 43, the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. Now what's interesting is if you look deeper and do more word studies, you'll find out that God claims exclusive rights to this title, Savior. Isaiah 43 continues and he says, I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. Hosea 13 But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. Now it's so interesting to me that God in the Old Testament would say, there is no Savior besides me. But then he sends this angel on that Christmas morning to come and tell the people that a Savior has been born. 
And so what he's telling the shepherds is that God has come to save his people. Now the question is, how is Jesus a savior? What has Jesus saved us from and what has Jesus saved us to? Well, we actually see this buried in the praise of the angels. And it's something that we gloss over so quickly. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me again. It says, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This term in verse 13, host, is a military term talking about a military unit. And so gathered on that night was a multitude of heavenly hosts. It was a great army of angelic warriors that have come not to seek vengeance, but to praise God for peace. Jesus came to restore peace. Now, if Jesus came to restore peace, then it must mean there was a place in our life or a relationship in our life where there was no peace, right? You can't restore peace where there's already peace. There must have been a place where there was war and hostility. And so the question is, what peace did Jesus come to restore? You know, we may not designate ourselves this way, but Scripture tells us the honest truth. And Scripture tells us that we were born enemies of God, that we were born at war with God, that all of us have shaken our fists against God, that all of us have run from God in unbelief, that all of us have rejected God to chase after other gods. And because of this, we have all committed this cosmic treason before God. And because of this, Colossians 1 tells us that we were alienated and hostile to God because of our evil deeds. We were naturally born rebels and sinners and enemies of God. Now, if the shepherds caught a glimpse of this, you can imagine what must have been going through their mind when this great legion of angels come to them. They must have thought, oh no, we are doomed. They have come to bring destruction. They have come to bring vengeance. They have come to bring the justice of God. But they come and they say those great words, fear not, fear not. Why not? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, has not come as Lord in Christ to smite us. He has come to save us. Jesus has not come to smite us, but he has come to save us, to end the war between man and God, and to bring shalom between us and the creator of the universe. And so we sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. In 1962, there were some missionaries named Don and Carol Richardson that went to New Guinea, and they went to go to bring the good news to a tribe there called the Sawi. And the Sawi was a head-hunting, cannibalistic tribe. And so it was a vicious tribe. They actually used the skulls of the people that they killed for pillows. Well, they went through and they started translating the gospel of Matthew. And when they got to the part where, where Judas betrayed Jesus, the Sawi people heard it and they cheered. They celebrated it. 
They thought it was such a cool thing. And so he continued to wrestle with, how do I communicate the good news of the gospel to these people that love wickedness so much? Well, as they lived there, there was a solemn ceremony that they were able to witness. You see, their tribe and another tribe was warring against each other. And one day he saw that the chief of the tribe went out and handed over a boy to the other tribe. When he went to ask about it, what he found out is that one way that they established to create peace between the two tribes was that the chief would take his own son, his very own son, and would give him to the other tribe. He would give him to the tribe that hated them. He would give him to the tribe that was warring against them. He would give him to the tribe that was vengeful against him. And yet through this child, peace would be established. And this child was given a title. This child was called the peace child. In Colossians chapter 1, we read that, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, to create peace to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And that you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing even evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus is God's peace child, which God has given over to a hostile world that criticized him, that ridiculed him, that spit upon him, that crucified him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but Jesus was also the price of peace. We can sing of Christ as our Savior because Christ alone, by his blood on the cross, satisfied the wrath of God so we can now live at peace with God forever and ever. And so, church, how should we celebrate Jesus' birthday? We should sing like the angels because Jesus is the Lord, because Jesus is the Christ, because Jesus is the Savior, the Prince of Peace that was the price of peace that secured for us eternal peace with God. Now, not only should we sing like the angels at Jesus' birthday, but we should also seek like the shepherds. Remember, the angels came to the shepherds in verse 11 and said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and the city of David is the town of Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they give these clues, these indications to find this child. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, what are swaddling clothes? I mean, have you ever used that term outside of the Christmas story? Swaddling clothes is simply just a linen cloth that they would use to wrap babies up with. If you've ever had a child, you know in the hospital they take your child with a blanket and they wrap him up like a burrito, super tight, right? So they can't hurt themselves and so they stay warm. It's very similar to that. There was nothing odd about a baby being in swaddling clothes. But what was odd, what was unique, was that this baby was going to be born in a manger. And I think this is so funny. We have this phrase we say today, right? Like, were you born in a barn? What would Jesus' answer be? Actually... Yeah, I kind of was, right? So I guess he could just leave the door open because he was born in a barn, right? <laughs> Jesus was born in a barn. He was born in a manger. And this was odd, even at that time. 
And so they said, go look for the boy. I mean, Bethlehem was not that big in swaddling clothes, but who's in a manger? Verse 13 through 14, we read the praise of the angels. Let's look down at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You know, I'm guessing many of you at home have manger scenes. And part of the manger scene are these shepherds. And they look like these wise old men that are extremely reverent, right? But this was not shepherds' reputation at all. Matter of fact, I wonder... Um, If we could see this, if when the shepherds were coming, if Joseph may have grabbed a club or something to defend his family. You see, shepherds' reputations were that they were hoodlums, right? They They were thieves. Shepherds were social outsiders. Nobody wanted to be around them. They were, they were uneducated, poor men that were rough characters. They were not trustworthy. As a matter of fact, their, their, their profession was not admissible in a court of law. They were also religious outsiders. Because of they work, their work, they were considered ceremonially unclean, which means they could not go into the temple to worship. They were also moral outsiders. Society considered them at the same level as prostitutes. And so they were, in some ways, the filth of humanity. They were, in some ways, the ultimate outsiders because of humanity. But in Christmas, God decided to take the outsiders and make them the insiders of the good news of the gospel message. And in response to this birth announcement, they say, let us go. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has told us about. And then it says they went with haste to find Mary and Joseph and the baby. And so this means they left their vocation. They left their livelihood. They left their sheep under the care of other shepherds. And I don't even know if they trusted them. But they left them and they went into a city where people certainly didn't respect them. But they went because they were going to see if what the angel said was true. Because they knew that if what the angels said was true, it would not only change their lives, it would change the world. It would change their eternity. You see, God, through the angel, first sought out the angels. But then the angels, in response, went and sought out God. Or another way of putting it, the good news sought out the angels, and then the angels, I'm sorry, sought out the shepherds, and then the shepherds went to seek out the good news. And they did this because hearing the good news was not enough. They had to see it for themselves. They had to experience it for themselves. They had to go and celebrate it for themselves. You know, when the Zip and Pippin first came to Green Bay, there was a lot of buzz about it. And I heard a lot of people talk about how cool the Zip and Pippin was. Um, kids were talking about it. Adults were talking about it. The news channel was talking about how cool the Zip and Pippin was. Even Elvis said how cool the Zip and Pippin was. And so you hear this testimony of all these people of the Zip and Pippin is this really cool ride. Maybe it's a little bit smaller, but it's pretty, pretty crazy. It's pretty fun. You see, I didn't just want to hear the testimony. It wasn't that I didn't believe them, but I had to go experience it for myself. Right? Hearing it was not enough. That was insufficient. Do you know what I'm saying? You have to go to write it for yourself. You have to go and experience it for yourself. For the shepherds, it was the same way. They had heard the good news, but that was not enough. They had to go and experience the Savior for themselves. 
Friends, hearing about baby Jesus is not enough. You need to experience baby Jesus for yourself. If you are here this morning, you may think some crazy circumstances led you here, but you are here by no accident. If you are here this morning, you are here because God has sought you out. God has sought you out that you might hear the good news of Christmas, the good news of Jesus. But now it's your move. What will you do with this news of Christmas? What will you do with this news of the great peace child? Will you take it as a story, file it away, go on with your life and say, I will pull that up at a later date? Or will you, like the shepherds, go with haste to encounter this peace child, to encounter this Jesus? Now you may be saying, how can I, how can I go and encounter Jesus? There's no, no barn for me to go to, no manger for me to go to with a child. God has given us what we call our means of grace. He has given us fellowship with God's people. That through God's people, we see and experience God's love. We do this on Sunday mornings. We do this through community groups. We do this through small groups. You can also experience Jesus through prayer. I mean, how profound is it that you get to talk to the God who created everything just by speaking to him? How wonderful is that? We get to pray to him. But we also get to encounter him through his word. You know, I know there are many people who just want to hear what other people say about the Bible. But God didn't give us the Bible for other people to tell us about it, but for us to experience it for ourselves. You see, you see through giving us God's word, God has sought us out, but he has called us to seek him out through reading it. And so God calls us not just to hear the good news, but to experience it. Now, what's so interesting, the shepherds seek out this baby Jesus. And we see their response. Look at verse 20 with me. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. There's that word, praising God. For all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What led these people to praising and glorifying God? They sought out the God who had first sought them out. Hearing the good news is just the starting point. It's never the destination. You know, Jesus preached the good news so that we could hear the good news, so that we could seek out the good news and experience the good news, but then praise and glorify God because of the good news. And so, friends, if you're here today, it is by no accident. God has brought you here to hear the good news. It is now your move. To seek out this good news, just as the shepherds did. And so we celebrate Jesus' birthday by singing like the angels, seeking like the shepherds, and finally, storing like the mother. Verse 17. And when they saw it, when the shepherds saw the manger and the baby in swaddling clothes, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured, that is to preserve, to protect, or to store up in one's memory, all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, it's interesting. You don't necessarily see this in the enactments of the manger scene, but it says here that evidently there was a crowd of people there. 
right? And the shepherds come and the shepherds told them what's happened. And for this crowd of people who heard it, they heard what they said and they wondered about it. And then at the beginning of verse 8, 19, and this is important. I mean, we run right past it, but verse 19 starts with the word, but. And the reason it does that is because it's contrasting how everyone else is receiving this news and how Mary is receiving this news, right? Everyone else heard it and they wondered about it. They probably questioned it because it came from shepherds, but Mary went beyond wondering about it. We read that Mary treasured up all these things. That is, she preserved it. She held on to it. She kept it. She stored it in her memory. But that Mary also pondered them in her heart. This word pondered, it's interesting. It actually means to bring together. And so I wonder if what it's talking about is, is Mary is taking what the angel told her and what, what Joseph, her fiancé, told her and what, what um, um, John's mother, Elizabeth, told her, right? And now what the angels are telling her. And she's taking all of these pieces and she's putting them together. She's pondering them in her heart. She's wondering about them. But more than wondering, she is sorting through them. She's letting them marinate in her heart. And she's wondering, who is this boy going to be? What is he going to do? Wow, what does this mean for my life? And so you see, at Christmas, God calls us to do far more than wonder at the Christmas story. He calls us to store it in our heart, to ponder it deep in our soul. You know, I'm the youngest of five kids, and before me, uh, my two older sister had kids. And when they told me that they were pregnant, I wondered at the child, right? I was like, that's great. That's exciting news. The child's going to be born. It's going to be great. I wonder what they're going to look like. I wonder what gender it's going to be. But I also wondered, what's it going to mean for their life? I mean, they lived, they lived hundreds of miles away. It didn't mean a lot for my life, one extra Christmas present a year. But what does it mean for their life? But then my wife got pregnant, right? And, and I went far further than wandering about this. It started to marinate deeper. I started to treasure this child in my heart who I haven't even met yet. And I started to ponder, what does this mean for my life? How is this going to change my life? How is this going to change my finances, my time, the trajectory of my life. How's this going to change all things? I pondered this in my heart because it was no longer someone else's child. It was mine. You see, with Christmas, so many people, almost everybody wanders at Christmas, but God calls us to go far greater than wandering about this child. He calls us to store the great truths of Christmas in our heart and in our mind to ponder about the good news of Christ and what this means for our own life. You know, the famous him, praise to the Lord, says, ponder anew. What a great thing we could do this Christmas. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, who with his love doth befriend me. This Christmas, let us ponder anew the glorious truths of Christmas, not just wandering about the story, but storing it in our heads, treasuring it in our hearts, and pondering it in our souls. Let me end with this. I don't know how long ago you realized that Christmas and Sunday are on the same day. Maybe in September you're planning stuff out, or November. Maybe you just found out now if you're, you know, a late planner. Um, I actually realized it probably a little over a year ago because I plan out the preaching schedule for the year when I'm preaching, when I'm going to be on vacation, go to conferences, things like that. And so, so it's probably last November that I figured it out. And when I realized that Christmas was on a Sunday, 
my initial reaction was one of disappointment. You know, I thought to myself, this is, this is so inconvenient. This is really going to mess Christmas up. I mean, now I have to work on Christmas Day, right? And, and, and the whole opening presents thing, like with the kids on Christmas morning, it kind of messes that up. Um, and, and like we go over to grandma and grandpa's, we're going to be late. We're going to spend less time with them because they go somewhere warm shortly after Christmas. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this, this, this Christmas on Sunday morning, really, it, it messes up my life. But do you see what I was doing in that disappointment? I was doing the same thing I did with my son's birthday party. I was celebrating someone else's birthday on my terms. I was making Jesus' birthday all about me. See, although my initial response to Christmas was one of disappointment that it was on a Sunday, God, by his grace, reminded me of this great truth. That Christmas is not my birthday. That Christmas is not my wife's birthday. That Christmas is not my children's birthday. And that Christmas is not my wife's parents' birthday. You see, at Christmas, we gather not to celebrate us. We gather to celebrate Jesus and his birthday. And when God reminded me of this, that Christmas is not about me, but is about Jesus, I realized that there is really no place I'd rather be on Christmas morning than gathered with my church family celebrating the birth of Jesus. And so I am so excited this year for us to gather together. You know, God has foreordained that Christmas and the Sabbath would be on the same day this year. And I think it is a great reminder to my heart and hopefully to yours as well that Christmas is not about us. It is not about our family. It is not about our presence or our traditions. That Christmas is about Jesus. And so I hope as you're thinking through next Sunday and you're figuring out, man, should I go to church or should I do all these traditions with my family? My hope is that you would come to church. Maybe you'll be gone. Go to another church. Because if you come to church, I will promise you this. I will not be the birthday party coordinator. (laughs) Jesus will be the birthday party coordinator. And you know what we're going to do at that birthday party next Sunday? We're going to sing like the angels. We're going to seek like the shepherds. And we're going to store up like the mother, the great truce of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today thanking you that you are so patient and gracious towards (laughs) self-centered people like me, like us. We're so thankful that Christmas is on a Sunday this year, that we get to gather and have a grand birthday party with the angels in heaven, thanking you for sending your son, thanking you for coming to earth, thanking you for loving us and caring for us, for being our Lord for being our Savior, for being the Christ. God, pray that you would prepare our hearts this week to come back for a glorious birthday party next Sunday where we might meditate on the good news of Christmas, the good news of the gospel, and have the best Christmas ever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.